Hey everybody, it's JDB. I wanted to tell you about a cool new thing we're starting in our Discord. We're doing 31 Days of Horror, so come on in and chat with us. We've got a bunch of movies we'll be talking about both on the podcast and in game streams that we're going to be doing in the future. So uh, that should be pretty fun. All right, enjoy the episode, and uh, see you next week. Bye-bye. Everybody. Welcome to this week's struggle session. Hello. I'm Jonathan Daniel Brown. I'm Jack Allison. I'm Leslie Lee the Third. And this week we've got a very special guest with us. It's Luke Savage. He writes for Jacobin. He's been on the CBC. He works for the Broadbent Institute in Canada. Uh, you can see him in Current Affairs. He's been in Metro News. That's all on his Twitter account. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. You've like, done your uh, research. No like, no, like, avid karaoke enthusiast or anything like that? Yeah, big fan of karaoke, long walks on the beach. <laughs> yeah, Welcome, wide Luke. Wide-eyed yeah. pragmatist. Uh, <laughs> uh, thanks for coming on, Luke. Uh, we appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I think this will be fun. Yeah. Um, so what are we going to talk about? <laughs> well, we just Luke, talked about Luke, what we were going to talk uh, about. Yeah. Look, I want to start off by saying, like, your at is not at Luke Savage. There's another guy who has that, who's stolen it from you. And I have to say, like, he looks pretty balling. If you just uh, do Twitter.com slash Luke Savage, he's like, you know, he's got like the 90s, like, bad boy hairstyle. And he's drinking a martini. <laughs> and like, I- I'm sorry, he looks like he's having a more fun time than you are. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm aware of him, but there's somebody that uh, there's somebody of the same name that's like a like a like a London financial like he's like high up in like finance in the city of London or something. So every so often somebody will confuse me for him, which is uh, which is funny because making no assumptions, I'm I'm I I think it would be pretty safe to guess that we have pretty different politics. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's it's the problem with having you know names on the internet yeah i I, I, uh uh, my name's jonathan brown there's like fucking millions of me there's this kid that plays for like miami like college football or something who's named jack allison um and one time a coach contacted me on twitter and wanted to get me on dm and so i had a whole phone call with this coach where he tried to poach me to go to another (laughs) team (laughs) and i just kept saying like i don't know coach i just love the game (laughs) and then like the next day he's like you got me kid Uh, whatever (laughs) anyway so Names. That's weird to have names, huh? <laughs> yeah, have you heard of this? Have you seen this? <laughs> names? Some people have similar ones. I just looked up this other Luke Savage on Twitter because Leslie was saying it. And hilariously, he's getting dragged into Adam Parkamenko tweets just oh, no. because he's tweeting with you. <laughs> <laughs> this other Luke Savage has to be aware of this, like, bald cop. Uh... <laughs> oh, man. Parkamarkamanko. Yeah. I feel um, bad for that guy. That is a guy who has dedicated his life to pleasing the mothership. And, and just, I mean, he lost his hair for it. Yeah. He's gained like 75 pounds in the last year. And like, he's got nothing to show for it except for yelling at people on Twitter. Yeah. Um, he's one of the many who like would have worked in the White House, but instead just dug in online. Is this, is this um, the guy that had that tweet a couple weeks ago where he was driving? The tweet didn't really make sense, but it was still, like, there was still kind of a, a deep sadness evoked by it, where he was, he was like, driving 
home or something at 2 a.m. And he had the like a, a photo of his car radio and he was listening to the Democratic fight song while eating ice yeah. cream. That's yep. the same oh guy, right? God. Yeah, that's the guy. That is the exact same oh guy. Man. I mean, like, I get still believing in your campaign and I get still believing that, like, you were on the right side. But, like, every Hillary supporter must have at some point went, like, I'm glad I don't have to listen to that fucking song anymore. <laughs> it sounds like something that I think I already made this joke on Twitter, but it sounds like something that, like, the Church of Scientology would put out, like, put out or something. Like, um, like, have you guys seen Going Clear, where they have that oh, song yeah. that's like, hey, la, oh, yeah. la, it sounds like that. Actually, the, the DNC looked a lot like those, like, Scientology, like, Academy Awards that they have in that documentary. Like, you know, what? like, the one where, like, uh, Dave Miscavige is, like, speaking to all of them. Like, that looks like, like... The Sean, war is over. You could the cut, war is over. You could probably cut the two between, the, the 2016 DNC uh, and, <laughs> and the, like, Thetan Fest we should, 2014. We should, take that, <laughs> we should take that fight song clip and we should just add text over everyone's names, like, gone missing for three years. <laughs> um, Retreated into the hashtag resistance. Hasn't been seen since. <laughs> um... Well, well, speaking, speaking of, of uh, well, 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 speaking of people who would have worked in the White House, um, Anthony Weiner has just been sentenced to 21 months in prison for his teen sexting scandal, and um, I just find this—I mean, it's completely horrible and disgusting that this pervert uh, sunk his entire career um, because of this. But I also find it fascinating that if Hillary Clinton had won, this would be the biggest news story. Like ever, yeah. like it would be wall to wall, nonstop coverage. Nothing would get d- done. Like they would probably shut down the government over this. And I feel almost that we kind of dodged a bullet right there. Oh, yeah. I mean, Wiener is. Have you seen the documentary about his run for mayor? Oh, it's incredible. It's one of the I, best fucking things I have ever seen. I, I actually think it was the best movie of 2016. Mm. I think it was like the best and most relevant funny movie that came out that year. It's, I mean, like, yeah, it's like, an incredible document of, like, a man's extraordinary kink uh, where he likes to, like, he gets off on being humiliated in public and then, like, heroically, like, fighting back through a series of kind of apologies and, like, defiant statements about how he's going to do better. And then, but inevitably, he just reaches a point where it's, like, too embarrassing and he can't, he can't recover. It's, it's an incredible film. I just yeah. it, it's 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 remarkable seeing like at the beginning of the movie you see his pathological need to get recognized which I I see a lot in the entertainment industry where he's just like biking down the street some guy goes hey hey you're Anthony Weiner and he's like no I'm not I'm not Anthony Weiner <laughs> I think I think a lot of that movie also made me realize like first of all you know the specific like narcissistic personality disorder that all of these people suffer from but also just like how little that they're doing like I feel like Anthony Weiner is just like on fucking parade every day like he's just like a camp counselor of New York yeah I mean he's an avatar of nonsense politics that make no sense yeah. so all you can have is charisma and he's a charismatic dude but like you know the dangers of being super charismatic not that smart and being insanely horny are vast <laughs> I, I was gonna say luke i think you're right that you know it is a shame that he has this kink but if there is any bright side to anthony weiner going to jail today just think of how just unbelievably horny this is making him to be shamed on such a wide and massive scale <laughs> 
like I remember seeing um, him on Rachel Maddow. He like he would go on Maddow like every other day be- just because he was so charismatic and superficially smart. And like he was a guy like people thought would be president, like no yeah. doubt yeah. whatsoever. And it's just amazing, amazing that he sunk it all. And he didn't even like get off like right like he never had sex with any of these. He just sent pictures, no. of, not even of his dick, of like his you know boxer shorts. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, he had like his his fucking kid in that picture. Oh, it's a sick oh. man. <laughs> it is funny that his like specific sexual kink was to never fuck. Yeah, like I, I don't know that he's ever had sex other than to make that child. Well, I, I think that's, like, a weird psychosexual thing I've noticed about, like, a lot of people in power. I sometimes wonder if, like, they've just fucked everything and everyone, right. and so it's just all boring to them. Eventually, it's more of, like, the acts of power. I mean, if you spend enough time in the basement of that, you know, Comet Pizza, you know, the, the, your, taste, boring. your tastes change. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Luke. Let's let's talk about your newest article in Jacobin. Let's talk about your Bill Maher. And, and, is, and is is JDB pronouncing that correctly? I I, I don't know. Is it Jacobin or Jacobin? Jacobin. I think it's Jacobin. Okay. I just I know Jacobin sounds cool, but it's wrong. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about the newest article. It's a really great piece about why Bill Maher is a fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> the hollow courage of Bill Maher. Yeah. So. Uh, I guess what led you to this place of uh, realizing and uh, spreading the the gospel that Bill Maher is a fucking asshole? I guess. um, So, I mean, I have this other podcast called, uh, or I rather, I have this podcast called Michael and Us, where uh, basically it started as kind of a weird, like, relitigating every single Michael Moore film or, like, Michael Moore Enterprise but as kind of a way, which is, like, a ridiculous and, like, uh, masochistic (laughs) thing to do, right? But, like, part of the reason was because, you know, you know, being kind of uh, growing up when I did kind of uh, having my first political thoughts in the early 2000s, Michael Moore was a big figure. Right. So engaging with and and a big part of, you know, I guess, developing into a more serious political thinker is always like repudiating things that you liked in the past and kind of reengaging with them and kind of seeing where they um were inadequate. And Bill Maher, I think, sort of fits, you know, we, we, we did an episode on his film Religulous, and I think that partly made me want to write about him. Um, uh, you know, like, he's somebody who, I guess, was a big deal during the, the, you know, the kind of Bush era, and he was one of these many people who became, I guess, you know, to use the uh, the current parlance, he was kind of an avatar of, you know, resistance in some ways. You know, he was you know, circa, you know, 2007 or whatever, I thought of him as kind of a, um, you know, as, as a, you know, a liberalish critic of things I didn't like, you know, religion and Republicans and all the rest of it. And, um, so I think part of, uh, you know, writing, writing that article was just kind of, you know, reengaging with that. And, and, um, I, I also think, you know, I, I think he's genuinely kind of an interesting figure, uh, you know, in the sense that, uh, like he, he thrives on, um, you know, he thrives on this kind of, I guess, political incorrectness for want of a more precise term. And I think that it's, it's interesting, um, like, like discussions around kind of political incorrectness really interest me because on the one hand, you know, it's like somebody like Bill Maher, I think, you know, he's like, as I noted, he's somebody who tends to punch down, you know, his targets are, um, but but I think, you know, uh, 
there is like there are times when there's you know it's constructive in this moment we're living in to kind of pierce through the um you know often very kind of uh stilted uh you know groupthink discourse that uh that's increasingly popular especially online um but i mean i think bill maher is uh is you know uh is a horrible practitioner of that and he does it for all the wrong reasons so i was interested in in kind of thinking about thinking about that, um, and uh, and I guess reengaging with whatever piece of me in the past uh, like still had a, a soft spot for for Bill Maher and kind of uh, stamping it out. <laughs> well, it, it, it's kind of interesting because I feel like uh, he called himself a libertarian again last week, which is a little confusing to me because your article points out that he's been pushing sort of economically right to economically center while simultaneously being like you know trying to do this like Christopher Hitchens contrarian thing but the longer he's been on real time the less jokes he's made he doesn't right. really make jokes anymore he's yeah. never yet on politically incorrect and ABC like he'd still had his like Ariana Huffington you know circle jerk panels but like he would make a lot of jokes and yeah. like when I, I turned on real time last week and I, I don't think he even tried to be funny well, once. It, it's a tough thing for me because, you know, while I agree with you that he's not doing as many jokes and I'd like to see more jokes, the jokes that he does are so just completely bad and terrible <laughs> that maybe be, be better to well, get rid of them what altogether. Was, what was his tweet like a few days ago about um, like Trump and the capital yeah. of Namibia? It was, it was when Trump said Nambia and he's right, like, Nambia. you know, now it's Namibia. And so Bill Maher was like, um, Nambia is a real country. Its capital is Kofefe. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> He's a walking right-wing I mean, BuzzFeed article that's now. Something, that's something that you would hear. Like, that's something that would get an audible groan at, like, the shittiest <laughs> open mic in, like, a small Midwestern city. Like, that. that is, like, that is the pits. And this that, guy... That, that's the... I truly think that that like joke verbatim was probably on like Pantsuit Nation yeah. and written by like a middle aged soccer mom. No, but like you, no, Luke's right though. That would like bomb at like Chuckles Laugh Emporium in Duluth. Like nobody would laugh. That joke is for nobody. That is yeah. just a confirmation. Like oh yeah, we hate him. Like yeah. the Clapter thing, which Tina Fey talked about once before she became the sheet cake queen. Uh, but the idea that like so much of comedy today is not even trying to make people laugh anymore. Right. It's just trying to like stir I, up confirmation bias. I, well, I call it a not – go ahead. Oh, I was going to say it's – and it's funny too because uh, a lot of the defenses that people were mounting about around Bill Maher with that article were like, uh, well, dude, like these are jokes. And it's like I quoted a lot of you know the things he said in, in the article and it's stuff like – uh, stop acting surprised that, you know, someone choked Tila tequila. Like it's just, the real surprise is someone didn't choke the bitch sooner. And it's like, that's not a joke. It's just that's just like, no. you're just, you're just advocating violence well, against women. There's not, it's not a joke. Well, and, and here's the thing, like, even if it is a joke, like I, 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 you know, jokes still have like intention behind them. You know what I mean? And I, and I do think that you can make jokes about anything, but like, you know the way that I mean, a joke what, is what structured. Is the, what, like what? Yeah, I suppose it has like the structure of a joke, but then like what's the? Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like the the, there's the intention like, and the target of the joke is to say that this dumb bitch deserved it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, that's exactly. what you're doing when you make a joke is you start with like here's an idea I want to express. Now how do I make it a magic trick where the last word is funny? That's all a joke is really. And so yeah, you have to look at like what was the target of this joke and like why you know uh, uh, and and how was it structured to get to that point? Yeah. 
So Bill Maher's a fucking asshole. Like, I actually think that, like, JDB, you're right. Like, you know, political comedy as of today has just become this clapter thing or, like, what I call these, like, not-along shows, you know. Maher is a little bit different because he his whole thing is that he's, like, purposely going to be the hot take generator or whatever. Um, but, yeah, all these other shows, like, you know, Samantha Bee and Trevor Noah and all these things are pretty much just, like, the Jim Baker show for liberals. It's, like, what they watch to, like, clap and feel good about. Right, it's 700, 700 Club, yeah. Club, yeah. So you, you, th- thank you for bringing I, I just want to make I just want to make one more comment about about uh, sorry to sorry to interrupt, but um, I, I think I, I think he's you know it's uh, it's true you know there are all these shows for liberals and I think part of the genius of Bill Maher if I can I mean I use the term loosely but is that he 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 has such a wide range of kind of um, political sensibilities that he expresses so he he actually has appeal like he has appeal to I think a certain kind of person on the right of the spectrum. Um, and, but then also like, um, he expresses kind of the metropolitan disdain for the lower orders that's so popular among liberals today. And I think in a way I tried to, like, I think in the last couple of graphs of the article, like, I think I tried to hit on, um, like I, what I think is kind of my big sort of theory of Bill Maher, which is that he really just is like all the worst things about yeah. punditry in the United States. He just kind of brings them together in a single <laughs> package whereas normally you know networks have to bifurcate between liberals and conservatives no no like bill maher can he's got it all yeah bill maher is this like frankenstein monster that appeals to everyone by appealing to their worst urges yeah i mean that's isn't that what centrism sort of is? Though? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So maybe Bill Maher is like perfect for centrists. Like, you know, uh, this country functions best with, at somewhere between the center left and the center right. And right there, you find Bill yeah. Maher. So I will. I wanted to. I wanted to defend Bill Maher a little bit because your article actually made me like him more. Like, I was really down on Bill Maher recently. But your what your article made me realize is that even though he's a complete piece of shit and everything you said about him is true. It's all up front. Like you didn't have to like dig deep to find any of the garbage he says. That's a lot. You didn't have to, you know, explain why you didn't need a chart to explain why his tequila joke was bad. Right. But like when you talk about like someone like Samantha B or Trevor Noah, it's like you, it takes a while to explain to someone why Trevor Noah is garbage. Right. Like we've all had that conversation. Like if you tell your, your random liberal friend on Facebook, oh, Bill Maher's an asshole. They'll probably be like, oh, yeah. Or at least say, I understand. But if you tell them Samantha B fucking sucks, they'll be like, what? What? Were are you talking about she's great so i actually appreciate bill maher for being so upfront terrible right that, about his shittiness yeah about his shittiness <laughs> that i actually like him more than the others who are, are like john oliver right who i mean and that and that's part of a comedian's branding too like guys like bill burr have also done stuff like that like a lot of uh i mean kinnison uh, I mean, you can go back and find lots of awesome comedians who like sort of rev- like Doug Stanhope is like the perfect example of someone with like awful politics who and, and kind of like a terrible attitude of the world, embracing it and having fun with it and just running with it the whole way. All right, and Samantha B would also never defend school segregation yeah, on her show. That's what I was going to say is like with Bill Maher, he would just go on the air and say like, I don't want my kid to go to school with black kids. Like <laughs> Samantha B, you have to Google for all of 30 seconds to find out that she doesn't want her kid to go to school with black kids. Well, and that Google, Googling of 30 seconds still goes above like, you know, it 99% of people don't do that. And it's crazy. I can't, I mean, part of the, I love being off of Facebook just because I don't get these clips anymore. <laughs> uh, um, so, what, so what do you think, Luke? Is, uh, is Bill Maher forgivable because uh, he's just so patently unforgivable? <laughs> uh, 
Well, I, I mean, I kind of agree with uh, the sentiment expressed. I mean, like, I think there are there are different classes of reactionaries in, in the United States. And certainly the one that's like more upfront about it, there's something in a way less insidious than somebody who kind of hides behind like a soft veneer of, you know, humanitarian liberalism or progressive language or whatever. Um, but I, I still, I still don't see how that amounts to, I don't, I still don't have to like Bill Maher. He's still, oh, no. <laughs> still Bill Maher. Yeah. Well, but my thing is like in a perfect world, like say, you know, we get the gulags out, we get the guillotines out. Like we still keep Bill Maher around to be like the furthest right, you know, person on TV. Like he should be. No, I, he I, should be like. The, I like what, La, what Lana said last week that that Bernie Sanders should be the furthest right person well, on TV. I, I, think, <laughs> I think that's a little bit too utopian, possibly. <laughs> we still have Bill Maher. You know, we keep him. Um, you know, under house arrest. We have. A, we turn his mansion yeah, into a, a house gulag. Just give him sex robots. <laughs> wow, I see. Like the the Maoist uh, inspired title of the sh- uh, of this uh, show isn't just like. Uh, well, it's not just for show. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh no. We're, we're, well, like, I mean, if you think about it, the entire internet sort of is a struggle session right now. <laughs> Everybody's just dragging each other and publicly humiliating each other and screaming at each other in these, and it probably needs to happen. Yeah, it really, <laughs> it's cool. It's cool. It's good that it's happening. <laughs> I mean, I probably wouldn't, you know, have good politics if some guy didn't yell at me. Like, if some 14 year old didn't tell me I was being a fucking idiot, I probably would not have grown as a human. <laughs> But um, but there is another so, way to win over people, and that's through yeah. um, sheer, you know, bombastic argument while you're walking and holding coffees. And that brings us yeah. to your uh, next big article that we that's actually a little bit older and was uh, talked a bit about on Chapo. But it, I, it, it is how I got introduced to your work, and it's a fantastic article because it completely – shreds aaron sorkin and his um mm. terrible wow you you really uh, you're really batting uh 500 for tearing down cocaine addicts <laughs> <laughs> so it was called how the how liberals fell in love with the west wing and uh current affairs so tell us about that article yeah well um i don't know i guess i'd always kind of wanted to uh uh write about the west wing that's something else that belongs in the category of you know things i used to like um, and I, I guess it's kind of the um, there's something in kind of the, the the fervor of apostasy when you you know if if you if you once like expressed liberal uh, like liberal bullshit then you're bound to hate it more than somebody who just right. like yeah it's, know, it's how be, I feel about Kevin Smith movies <laughs> right 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 um, you know like I I I, I you know I watched the, one of the reasons I was able to write about the show. In like in the way that I did was because I've I've probably seen it through maybe twice. Like I I mean not not recently I, I hasten to add, but I mean it's it's uh, it was something I was very familiar with, and I actually think that um, I mean it it's it's aged well in a sense, and I don't mean that it's good because I clearly I don't like it, but it's 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 aged in the sense that it's it's increasingly relevant. I think and it and they you know they. They touched about this on the Chapo episode, you know, it is kind of the Rosetta Stone for decoding, like, everything um, that was wrong with liberals in the United States during the Obama presidency, and much about what was wrong with kind of the, you know, um, Hillary Clinton uh, campaign and, and all the rest of it. So despite the fact that it's like a show that's been off the air for 10 years, um, it, you know, it's not only useful for... Um, 
decoding a certain kind of liberalism and explaining what's wrong with it. But I mean, it's also got this massive fan base. I think I mentioned in the article, um, I mean, it has a podcast that's weekly that goes through every single episode. Like it's just hosted by Joshua Molina, who was, um, I think on the last few seasons of the show. Um, and they just talk about every single episode. So there are like more than 200 episodes, I think. So they're not going to be done until 2019. And they're just doing one episode a week. Uh, they actually had, uh, our prime minister, Justin Trudeau on recently, which is like, Oh my God. Like, I, I think that was, um, it felt like sort it felt like that was God laughing at me. That, that uh, you know, um, but that, I feel bad for Josh Molina. That sounds fucking awful. Like you're on one show for a couple of years and then you have to recount every single episode. Oh yeah, that's before I knew them. That's before I also hung out with them. I didn't know them then either. Like, what do you do until your episodes it's are off? So, it's so sad because like Jared Leto does not want to talk about fucking my so-called teen life or whatever. But yeah. this dude is going to be talk. He is committed to talk about the West Wing for like 15 years. But it's I like how it's, Lou, I, it's like how Lou Ferrigno has to show up at every Comic Con because he played the Hulk. But like Josh Molina just played like a man wearing a suit. <laughs> yeah, it's like those really sad comic book conventions where there's like somebody that was a Nickelodeon child star in the '90s, and they're and they're like in their 40s, and then it's like, what are you doing now? And it's like, um, oh, I have a Touring. YouTube channel with a hundred yeah. subscribers. Or you it's know. like, uh, I'm 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 here signing things for you. That's right, <laughs> for yeah. twenty dollars. But, but this <laughs> nice. is this is why like there's a reason why the show um like why i think joshua molina he pro he genuinely thinks that like the people the people that were in the west wing like a lot of them seem to think they're activists or that the show is oh, yeah. some kind of documentary and that's right. why people are able to not see kind of the weirdness of talking about this 10 year old show um having this like very active like 100 percent earnest non-ironic fan culture um and it's because for a lot of people that like this is what um, this is what politics is, and this is what it uh, this is what it should be on on election night. I think I mentioned this in the article in November. Um, your election night, I should say, not ours. Gotta let the gotta let the Canadianness shine. The through. election night, but uh, the the election night. Um, <laughs> no, like uh, you know, Helen Lewis from the New Statesman like tweeted with one hundred percent earnestness, like I'll be holding my like hugging my West Wing DVDs a little closer tonight. And I mean that that is that's so it's such an annoying sentiment on all kind of levels, but also don't even have Blu-rays. If you, yeah, not even Blu-rays. That's what's really <laughs> offensive about it. But it but it's like if if you if you like really sort of understand and or you know grasp kind of the moral gravity of like what Donald Trump being elected president of the United States means, like it calls for something other than like oh I can't wait to like get back with like Toby, Josh, CJ, <laughs> the whole gang, you know, like. <laughs> Well, and that was is, one yeah. of the one of the weird things I noticed, and it felt like it started maybe like a year or two before the primary. Was that the Obama administration would just randomly have like, here's Allison Janney at today's press briefing. Yeah. Here's Bradley Whitford. Like, what the and, fuck are you people I, doing I, here? I, I'm somebody who <laughs> I'm somebody I never watched The West Wing, and I like I kind of recently started like dipping my toe in it because there's so much, you know, kind of because of your article and sort of all the the fervor surrounding the it. The pathology, and you know, I, I do have to say that it's like an engaging show. Like, you know, the, it's like a well structured show and everything I, I do hate it and I hate the characters but so all that whenever that happened under Obama I was always like who the fuck is this like when everyone freaked out about like Allison Janney at the podium I'm like 
She looks like uh, anybody else who stands at that podium. It's well, like a lady in a suit. But that's the thing. DC loves these people because it's 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 the self fulfilling thing. We're like yeah. entertain. We, we we've hit a chicken and an egg point in our society where we're like not even able to tell like reality and fiction apart. Yeah. With like you know we've got a TV host president. We've had a president before that who might as well have been a TV host. Obama yeah, well, was on there's the- a, there's a there's a there's a TV show host who's a Republican president, but then there's also like liberals think the West Wing is just is a documentary. Right. You yeah. know, it's and it really is, like it is amazing to see um, the traction the West Wing still has, uh, the currency it still has when people are using it as a reference point with like 100% earnestness, like, oh, this thing that happened today is just like this one West Wing episode, but it's like President Bartlett dealt with it better than like Drum for whatever. It's like, it's yeah. ridiculous. And the, the newsroom didn't have as quite as big of a following, but I still, now and then when I lurk Twitter, I'll still see like that one guy on I the mean, fake cable network the fucking, still is constantly just, drumming actually, up he support. Just, he, he just retired the account. Like He or she just retired the account last week. Um, Wow. Like they like it's um you know I I don't I I guess pick like, up more ships ships at the Pinkberry or something <laughs> I guess just in in Trump's America like there's just no more room for laughter and you know the, right. the thing about the West <laughs> Wing tell. is like as a liberal fantasy is and like people have said this before like but they always lose they always compromise on the show the whole show is him just eating shit all day basically yeah <laughs> they get their asses kicked because they're centrists and they believe in bringing people together right no matter what it's fucking about that that's so funny that in even in the fantasy world even with everything perfect centrists lose <laughs> that's like they, they they fantasize about the chance to lose right and that and that is what's so revealing because it shows you that ultimately the point of the you know the point of the politics represented in the show is not to really achieve anything specific it's about to you know look a certain way and give institutions like a certain sheen and as long as like the right Martin people sheen. are in charge yeah mark oh good one um <laughs> uh, i can't believe i didn't think of that when i was writing it god damn it anyway like they it's it's you know it's about an aesthetic of political institutions it's about how the look and kind of their liturgy make us feel as opposed to actually doing anything. Um, I don't think it made it into the final version, but, you know, I, re- I re- originally wrote a whole section that was just going through, you know, some of the policies that the Bartlett administration um, either pursues or, or, you know, gets passed on the show. And I mean, he like, um, he like got social security. I'm pretty sure at one point he, there's like a ridiculous episode where, um, like Toby Ziegler is sent to uh, address like a crowd of anti-globalization protesters. And he just like smugly kind of wonkishly dismisses all their concerns and talks about how like, well, these jobs that you're worried about are going to get like, you know, uh, are going to get like replaced with better jobs. And if you'd gone to Yale like me, like you would understand that, you know, it's just, it's, it's uh, the, the actual, like when the show does have kind of policy, um, substance at all, like it's usually bad. Bad you know? policy. There, there's another another episode I remember where um, the arc of the show is like President Bartlett has a a principled opposition to school vouchers, you know, to voucher oh. pro- like private school voucher programs, yeah. and then the like shows denouement is him like 
like he gets lectured by Charlie, who's his like black, uh, his like young black assistant, about how like voucher programs like can help the underprivileged. Oh, Motherfucker, yeah. the waiting for and Superman like, thing. Yeah, and then he has this identity like, politics are used that's because rich, to rich privatize schools. Yeah, rich liberals <laughs> do like you know the voucher program. Like that's, they that's look right. at these schools. Yeah, they they like they like it as much as they pretend they don't. And they, they do like, like it, and they tell themselves they like it because they love black people so much. So that's why they had to put it in the mouth of a, a black character. You know. Like right. we are doing, we're we're helping you people. Don't you understand? It, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I, I was gonna say on the on the on the thing you were saying about how all these actors think that they were like activists for appearing on the show. Um, I met Martin Sheen once on like a commercial, some fucking car commercial that I wrote, where it was like him and uh, the president from like Independence Day, like pulling up in cars next to each other, whatever. <laughs> Very stupid. It was like fake presidents or some Dennis Haysbert. Like for some fucking uh, high class car. I don't remember. How funny would it would it have been if uh, one of the actors had been Trump? <laughs> He's. I'm surprised I mean, he hasn't been. I mean, he shaved I mean, Vince McMahon's head. Like, wait, I, I, wait I think, just wait eight years until he's out of office because it will be I, eight I'm years sure and he will he be was, in commercials. He was. He. I. You know. I haven't seen it. I think he was like. I'm not sure if he like was in it, but I think he might have been cast or like. He might even play the 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 fake, um, like the 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 president in like Sharknado. No, he, or something. it fell through, and Mark Cuban ended up doing it because <laughs> Trump. Another. But but Trump was mad about it. He was mad that it went to Mark Cuban, and I'm sure that even now, as the president of the United States sitting in the Oval Office, it still sticks in his craw that Mark Cuban was in Sharknado instead of him. Um, but what I was going to say about Martin Sheen and this idea that they all think they're activists or that they like actually were in politics because of that show, I think Martin Sheen like thinks of himself as like a bright political guy and he just like he'll like want to talk politics with anybody but all he does is like know what the governor of the state you're from is like he'll just be like so what state are you from and someone's like uh new jersey and he's like oh you got that chris christie bad guy <laughs> like, hey where are you from arizona like ah john mccain like he just like memorized who all the senators are or something martin your son is slowly killing himself live <laughs> like, do something state? ah paul ryan <laughs> i mean you know martin sheen like martin sheen is is a truly great actor and he's in a yeah. lot of really great movies and i mean yeah I, I i i have like less of a dislike for him than than other people but it seems like he is also uh, or other other people associated with the show but it seems like he he has uh partaken in a certain amount of this i i don't think he was involved um with uh like actually stumping for Hillary Clinton, which some of the other actors were, which right. I appreciate in a weird way. Yeah, I, no, I mean, I, I think though that they all appeared in some Obama video not too long. Like there was a Funnier Die video that was like a reunion of the West Wing. All this stuff, like, th like the liberal media thing is like a real thing, and they they do like kind of collude with each other, and there's there is weird shit, and I like I've been witness to it, and a lot of it has to do with the West Wing guys. They're like some of the bigger colluders uh, uh, in sort of liberal politics. Well, well, during the primary, I remember like screaming at my laptop when like Bradley Whitford went on stage and said, Hillary's been out burning Bernie before Bernie was Bernie or something like that. And it's like, what the fuck are you even talking about? Like, oh, man, the, the worst one was uh, was during the primaries uh, as one of the debates when Rob Lowe, uh, like, actually tweeted a clip from the West Wing to attack oh of him God. to attack Bernie Sanders tax plan. And in the in the clip, he's like hectoring a bunch of like interns who were talking about um, how 
or not an intern. It's like I'm getting the I'm getting my shitty West Wing scenes uh, confused. He's talking to like some progressive like Democrat or something who wants to raise taxes, and he's saying that like you know you know the rich of this country like pay more than their fair share, and like let's not call them names while they're oh, doing Jesus. it. Like, oh, yeah, kind of Rob Lowe. Was this, was, this, went was before, from, this is before he quit the show because uh, he didn't think he was getting paid enough. Seventy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, Rob Lowe was he went from, you know, wasn't he at the DNC with Dukakis? Yeah. And then he had the, the piss tape scandal. And now he's like, he's is he a Trumper or is he a never Trumper? He's hard right. Rob, who are you talking about? Rob Lowe. No, you're not. You're talking about like Scott Bayo. No, Rob Lowe is right wing as fuck. No, he's not. No, Rob, Rob, Rob Lowe's a, like a died in the wool Democrat. He was. Oh. He, he did have a scandal at the DNC, but I think it involved like a sex tape with like underage women or something. Okay. I'll cut all that West Wing, bad, huh? Bad. Bill Maher, bad. West Wing, bad. Bill Maher, bad. Knock two of them out. Let's go to the next thing. The NFL, the new heroes of the resistance. Yeah. Let's all make sure to watch as many football games as we can. Thanks, just Alyssa. like Alyssa Milano says. <laughs> uh, you know, if the NFL gets bad ratings, then Trump can make fun of it. So it's our duty to resist by supporting the organization that will not hire back Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, so um, the whole Kaepernick thing, like, I knew it was going to get hijacked as soon as he started because the immediate discussion was not about police violence. It was about Kaepernick's kneeling. He's an NFL player. Does do yeah. NFL players have the right to do this? What about football? Is football good? Is football bad? Is football patriotic? <laughs> like, what, do, what does Tom Brady think? Is football sexist? No, not at all. <laughs> uh, what about 
more female linebackers. Yeah, so like immediately it, it like he never had he never really had a chance to actually express what he wanted to express. Like there there was some great solidarity shown early on by like some WNBA players. They were fantastic about it, but he didn't really get a lot of support in the NFL and like the media just kind of crushed it and made it about yeah, it made it shreds. about him personally and like initially like the broad left was supportive of him. Until he started talking shit about Hillary, and then it was like, ah, kind of fuck Kaepernick. He's not going to vote, so fuck him too. He's part of the problem, and so he just yeah, along with Susan Sarandon, Ralph Nader, and uh, the other great Jill Stein, and the other great monsters of history. Yes. <laughs> All these people responsible for amassing a grand total of like thirty-five thousand votes. <laughs> Are responsible for everything. He's like the, they're like the guy who killed Franz Ferdinand, <laughs> Gabriel Princi. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So like, um, and so it just he doesn't have a job. He's not being hired, and it was actually kind of um, funny because last week Tom Brady actually stood up for Kaepernick because Brady's gotten a lot of shit because he's personal friends with Trump, as is um, Robert Kraft, the um, owner of the New England Patriots. But he actually said, no, Kaepernick deserves a job. Uh, And I thought that would be kind of a turning point in the story where, you know, maybe Kaepernick would actually get hired. He could continue his principled stand. Uh, Maybe other players who hadn't supported him would uh, do that. But instead, what apparently happened was is that Trump, for some reason, got pissed off. In, at, at I think he got pissed off at Brady for supporting him, so he called Kaepernick a son of a bitch, and then it all went to shit. It became like a hashtag, yeah. we got to take a knee, not for murdered black people, but we got to take a knee to own Trump. And that and, and now it's yeah. completely over, like— and now it's yeah, Kaepernick's not even a part of the conversation anymore. Well, it's it, now the very team owners who wouldn't hire Kaepernick are like standing in locked arms, and everyone is like, "How brave of like the owner of this team to stand for Kaepernick?" It's like, pick up the fucking phone and hire him. Then, what's remarkable to me is that like I remember when when all this shit went down last year. That to me was like a turning point for I. I was still sort of shedding my liberalism. And I think that the Kaepernick Neil was like a moment where I went, oh, holy shit, this is awesome, actually. Yeah. And uh, I, I can't even tell you how many people I've spoken to who are big football fans are like, you know, Kaepernick's right. Like, cops are shooting too many people, but uh, he's not that good. Yeah. And, and that just blows my mind because we still have this phony, like, idea of a meritocracy. And if somehow if, like, he you know, got more touchdowns. Right. That would somehow make his statement more potent. Well, no, I, I think it's like, I, I've heard a lot. I mean, from people that I don't think are like that smart about it, but I've heard a lot of people being like, Oh, he's not getting hired. Cause he's like, not that good of a quarterback, Bullshit. which is like, you know, every single team in the league decides not to yeah. hire this guy. Uh, who also happened to like set off a political firestorm. Like I, I don't buy it. No, no, he's objectively good enough to be on a team. Like he's not like a top, He's not one of the top guys, but he's objectively good enough to start for a number of teams. And people, have, and if you turn on CNN, ESPN, I think they talk about this like every single day. Like it's always bizarre because you keep seeing these clips from ESPN because they have nothing of substance to talk about. They keep talking about this and the conversation just goes nowhere whatsoever. They just say the same thing every week. I feel like working for them has to be one of the worst jobs in media because you have no real influence. And anytime you talk about politics, it's the most facile version of it. It's almost as bad as working for CNN. Uh, so, Luke, uh, you're Canadian. What do you think about American football? 
<laughs> uh, I've watched the Super Bowl a couple of times. Um, uh, yeah, that's about that's about uh, that's about the limits of my knowledge of the actual sport. We're in a Luke, hockey. Luke, I hear you trying not to say a boot. I hear you trying not to say a boot. Okay, you don't. You know, don't worry about it. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. Here's the thing. I grew up in rural Ontario, okay, and I have never heard anyone say that unless it was to make a joke about like how Canadians say a boot. Not saying it doesn't happen, but I think you guys are slightly trampling on my lived experience. I actually think I actually think that the racism on this one is slightly wrong, uh, and I think it's actually Canadians say a boat. They say a boat more than they say a boot. Canadians racism do say a. That's a real thing that happens. Yes. And they also say a bit. They say a bit a like, lot. Interprovincial racism is like an interesting thing I noticed because I shot a film in Canada in Vancouver a, a couple of years ago. And like someone once told me I drove like a Saskatchewan. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, I don't know what. I know that do Saskatchewanese drive bad. Like, where did that even come from? Like, I mean, I've, so never, much to I've never heard that. I've never heard that. I've never heard Saskatchewan before. That must be there must be like. I guess there's like innumerable like pejoratives for people hurled at people from the prairies, but um, doesn't end. Canada does have like it's, I mean it's it's you know all the provinces have very distinctive identities. Like as much as the as much or more as like different regions of the United States, and then plus with um, then you have like the additional dynamic of Quebec versus the rest of Canada. So regionalism, like other countries, I think have tended to follow a more like left right spectrum in some ways or at least like a liberal conservative spectrum and in, in canada it's been much more um you know uh ontario versus the rest of canada or quebec versus the rest of canada yeah. or you know like it's there's and then there's regionalism so, so who do you think is the winner who's the and, best <laughs> uh, well the thing is i'm supposed to say my own province but then ontario is actually so big that it's kind of the only province that doesn't really have like there's not it has the softest identity of any province. Like the, in some ways, the smaller the province, the more likely it is to have like right. a distinctive identity. Anyway, this Canada shit. No, boring. it's not That's boring. Gonna... I mean, we need to. T- we need no, to. Talk- not. I was just That's in Montreal. Awesome. I was just in. I was in Toronto this year and Vancouver. I yeah, we're. I'm. I'm a fourth Canadian. Oh wow! I have okay, it in well. My blood. I guess I I'm should. Half, actually. I guess I should. It's like I never get to actually talk about Canada when I do these American things, so I, <laughs> I should probably celebrate that. Take what oh, I can get. I love Montreal. Yeah. I've been like seven or eight times. Like uh, poutine is the shit. Oh yeah, you're closer. That's it's 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 great. I mean, you know, I live in Toronto. This is kind of where, uh, and that's where I'm talking to you from today. And you know, it's uh, it's where I've made my adult life. I'm really happy here. Montreal's an awesome city. Uh, I guess, like, my general take on Canada is that, like, the problem that you have in the United States culturally where, you know, everything is very nationalistic and, you know, you have, you know, this very, um, like, this really pronounced kind of military culture and uh, all that kind of stuff. In Canada, the problem is is something like the inverse, if that makes any sense. Like, the Canadian, the official Canadian identity is about being maximally inclusive, but, like, in a very, like, kind of superficial Right, right. In, in in many ways, but like it's so what what there is is this constant celebration of how kind of multicultural we are, and the and um and how kind of meek and polite and gentle and progressive you know we're just like a post racial Switzerland or something, um with with a Nordic welfare state which is something we also don't actually have but like um that, like that's kind of what a lot of Canadians are taught to think of their country and so in the United States like if you're if you're kind of any kind of dissident. 
you know, you'll be shouted down for being unpatriotic. And yeah. what's weird is in Canada, this actually, in some ways, the same thing can happen, but it just can happen with people being like, well, no, actually, we are really multicultural. And like, there's something wrong with you if you point out like the, like, you know, uh, critics of, uh, there's, you know, there've been a whole bunch of, um, you know, indigenous and, and, uh, you know, POC critics of, uh, the, the Trudeau government's record on, on stuff, but it, it's like, they're not, uh, they often get, uh, ignore even like, I'm a white guy and I write about that stuff and I find it hard to get an audience for a lot of uh -huh. it because people just don't want to hear it. Like they want right. Justin Trudeau had socks at the UN and it was Bay AF or whatever. Socks like were it's, cute. Just, it's just always, well, it was always that kind of stuff. Um, right. and, and like it makes it, it makes, uh, it makes kind of internal dissent, um, more difficult and it sort of mitigates like a lot of conversations that like we should be having. One of the big difference, I think, historically between America and Canada is that we um, killed all the Native Americans and you guys just forcefully asked the First Nations to leave. Right. And tried <laughs> to and then and tried to. Well, Canada. They, I mean, I don't know how widely it's known in the States, but like the Canadian state um, had this residential schools yeah. policy where basically they kidnapped all of the like, they kidnapped all these indigenous children and put them in these schools where like where they were like abused by you know, the teachers and like monks and nuns and stuff. And uh, that that policy like was an openly genocidal one. And it's only just being like it's only just in the last few years that there was a like a truth, a truth and reconciliation commission that, you know, studied this and heard from, you know, survivors of the schools and stuff and, and you know, acknowledged that it was a genocidal policy in le less than like it's been, like just in the last decade, the Canadian government finally apologized for these things. Um and that's kind of stuff that, like, that's kind of history that doesn't get a lot of attention when people just want to hear about, like, you know, Justin Trudeau, like, mm -hmm. you know, was wearing, like, his socks or whatever the fuck the... Wait, it, it's a is. lot like Obama, so, where he's adulated for being, like, cute and charming and funny and smart and charismatic, but it's, in the end, so much of it's empty, and... All he has to do as prime minister is go, you see how shitty it is in America? We're not that bad. We're not yeah. that bad. That's all he has to do. Yeah. <laughs> but but you're you're more tapped in with like the, the sort of day-to-day -day of Canadian politics. So what kind of socks has Justin Trudeau been wearing lately? <laughs> I think actually there was one I saw recently where people were making fun of him because he had like Wookiee socks or something. Fucking nerd. And, and it was like nerd. there was there was a take on the internet <laughs> where the it was like socks. he's finally gone too far. <laughs> See, if he'd have worn IG88 socks, I would have respected him. So uh, I have to, so, to, so I have to ask, is, is um, Trudeau a gamer? Actually, I think that's a niche of, like, nerd culture he hasn't tried to capture. Because he's tried to capture, like, a lot. He's, like, he dressed up as Han Solo for Halloween, like, shortly after being elected. Like, there's... Oh, my uh, God. He does, he does try to capture that kind of niche, but gaming is... Um, Something he hasn't gone so near. I don't he, know what he's that's a fake, about. Nobody cares about the gamers, so but he's Steve a fake uh, fanboy. Is what you're saying? <laughs> yes, that's right. He doesn't game. He's never played Shadows of the Empire. Um, he's not a real Star Wars fan. Dash Rendar. If uh, you got the extra ending, you knew he didn't actually no. die at the end. <laughs> oh, is that true? I never got that far. You never um, got the secret ending to Shadows of the Empire? No, yeah, I Dash never. Is still I out never there. Got, uh, you know, I was thinking about so it's like I I I this will probably this is probably going to be controversial, but I basically I basically hate all the new Star Wars like all the prequels are terrible. I don't didn't like Rogue One, didn't like The Force Awakens. But I was thinking recently 
that if they're as long as they're just as long as like films are just remakes of things now, why don't they adapt Shadows of the Empire? Because that was actually like a plausible Star Wars story that kind of worked and was yeah. like Disney doesn't Disney doesn't want anything to no, do with the expanded dead. universe anymore. You, you are. Uh, you're going to find a, a very good company here in <laughs> hating the new Star Wars. However, okay. thank goodness. And this will be controversial. The prequels are good. I think that Revenge of the Sith is not as bad as people say it is. But I think Attack of the Clones and Phantom Menace are still bad. Force Awakens is so much worse than any prequel. Yeah, uh, yeah. Don't at me. <laughs> Well, I, I think I do think the problems are kind of. De- I guess we're just getting into Star Wars now, which I guess I'm we've fine. done it, which will uh, lead into Halo. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I like. I guess the the problems to me with the prequels are a little bit different of the uh, with the the newer ones because I think with the newer ones, the prequels are trying to be prequels, and I think they're just not very good at it. Like it sort of comes off like it's fan fiction or something. Whereas like the. Um, the the Force Awakens and Rogue One to me just kind of seemed like I mean they're also fan fiction but like the Force Awakens can't make out whether it's like a remake or whether it's like a a sequel like it, and it's kind of it's like neither both um, like Rogue One um, I I thought the whole point of these things was like appeasing sort of the nerdy taste of like Star Wars people which like I guess like I I, I I've I, you know I feel like in some ways like I've I've grown Star Wars. I mean, I watched as a kid. Like, I guess every like ten years, I'll watch the original trilogy, and like, I still think fondly of it in some ways. But like, I didn't even think Rogue One captured the like the the geeky stuff very well because like, for some reason, it's supposed to be like in A New Hope, the rebellion is like this scrappy little insurgency, and then in Rogue One, which supposedly like ends just a few hours before A New Hope begins, like like the rebels have this giant like fleet, and they can mount this like full scale assault and like a like an imperial facility and stuff didn't make a lot of sense to me. Disney Disney doesn't get it. Disney doesn't get that they are the empire. So it's like it's like if the it, it's right. It, yeah, it is very funny that like the Star Wars movies are now being made by Darth <laughs> Vader. Like, it's like it, it, you know these movies are about the ethos. I mean, ostensibly, ostensibly the Star Wars movies are about like insurgents, and right. so now the keys have been handed to like the largest and sort of most evil, one of the most evil empires in America. And then the, and you know I, I think that we're gonna you know I. I to me, these Star Wars coming out so quickly it's gonna and, burn and, everyone out. and being so meaningless is is such a good indicator of like where we are in our decline as a culture. Like we're gonna go from having like six Star Wars movies over like thirty five years to having like ten in the next like four years. Yeah, I mean, Last Jedi comes out in like what October, or November, and then Han Solo's like out Han in May Solo one or something. Yeah, it's like yeah, Ron Howard's Han Solo. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, these things are hollow. Like, you know, uh, the prequels, the argument that I'll make in favor of them, it, I would actually even disagree that they feel like fan fiction to me. Like, in fact, they feel like like fan fiction is so much about just like pleasing what a fan wants to see their favorite characters do so that they can masturbate to it. Like, I almost feel like the prequels are defiant in their badness. Like, this is like George Lucas kind of being like, this is the story I want to do and fuck all of you. Like, this... And also, I would make the argument that I think that um, Star Wars, the prequels, does a fairly decent job of showing how a fascist government, like, actually does come to power. Like, it's not exciting. It's all about, like, Senate meetings 
meetings and votes and shit like that. Those things that people complained about are kind of like how actual, yeah. you know, fascism I will, rises. I will give you credit that making Jar Jar Binks a galactic senator was a masterstroke. I mean, look, like, there's, there's flaws. Uh, and George Lucas, you know, I, I would say that, like, the biggest flaws of the prequels are that George Lucas is too ambitious. You know, a lot of the stuff that he was trying, like, kind of looks like shit because he was the first one doing it. But for better or worse, like, every movie is made the way the prequels are made now. And also, like, as far, a lot of the, like, visual information that we, like... Uh, you know, associate with Star Wars comes from the prequels. Like every single prequel has a bunch of new planets, has a bunch of new ideas, has a bunch of new characters. Force Awakens does not have yeah, any new ideas. That's any the new strength imagery. of the prequels. Like as much as I hate the first one, toler- can tolerate the second one. The third one's kind of okay. It's like it's it was actually an attempt to create something new and expand the Star Wars universe. Like I'm more of a fan of the expand uh, of the EU, the books, the games, etc., etc. But like the prequels, like didn't have to do away with all that stuff in order to exist. They existed concurrently with all that other stuff. And like like he was much more ambitious. Um, than than Disney was, but Disney still their scope is so limited. They had to get rid of the expanded universe because of these very like two movies that they want to make could not fit within it, and that's really like sad. That shows uh, extreme lack of creativity and versatility on their part. I mean, I was also going to say that, like, it, it also shows that, you know, the, the Star Wars movies as made by Disney are extremely conservative films, like, made with conservative choices. Yeah. They, they are trying to make back their investment as quickly and as efficiently as possible. The prequels, again, for better or worse... George doesn't give a fuck. He's making the movies he wants to make. Like, these are not market-tested. They're not, you know... Yeah, but but George Lucas gave a shit about toys. I mean, remember, he didn't kill Han Solo in Return of the Jedi to sell more action figures I know that he walks. I, I know that he gives a shit about toys, but I'm talking about the actual, like, structure and scripting right. of the movie. Like, these are not movies made by committee. These right. are, like, auteur theory, like, played out in full or whatever. Uh, and we have to respect... I know that everyone hated on George Lucas for such a long time, and I truly think that that is so fucked up. I, think I do, too. This is a guy that like created all this stuff and like maybe he got fucked up maybe he made some mistakes later in his life as he became an old man but it really was this this the start of this thing in nerd culture of completely abandoning and you know uh, humiliating the creator of the things that we love you know because we decided that we actually love the fictional characters I mean, it's not more new. i mean it goes back to jack kirby it goes back to stan lee but like on a mass i guess with the blockbuster film the idea that the indi- that the the, the, the artists who create uh, film franchises, I guess. I guess that is the beginning. You're right. Yeah. In, I mean, in terms of movies, sure. I anyway. guess. I guess. Uh, I guess. Uh, so I disagree with many things, but uh, I will just. I'll just say that I think that the, uh, um, you know, like the the original trilogy is like I still think fondly of it, but I think that, insofar as like I have any kind of hate on for George Lucas, it's more just about like he is kind of synonymous with somebody uh, like he, he, he or he's synonymous with um, all the things I hate about modern blockbusters like he Mm-mm. created the blockbuster but, but yep. then at the time like the blockbuster like along with spielberg and others but at the time you know the blockbuster was kind of the product of different people's you know creative visions and they were like loving like lucas was lovingly blending right. together like uh-huh. things from you know kurosawa and like pulp pulp magazine still the new hollywood and era. stuff yeah exactly and then and then like to me the prequels they're just like they look really dense. Everything's green screened. Like everything looks really artificial. Uh, like I think the acting tends to be. I mean, 
particularly after the first one, the acting tends to be really poor. Um, I don't know. It's it's and they suffer from even though I agree that they're like trying to create something a little bit like newer than what the the new new ones are doing. Like they still have to have you know the draw you know C three pin R two D two have to just inexplicably sure. be in everything. They still suffer from that thing that fan like bad fan fiction suffers from when it's like. Um, you know, uh, it turns out that Darth Vader actually yeah. built C three PO, and like, and like, yeah, and, like and, these and crossover. It turns out that it wasn't just any Wookiee that rescued Yoda. It was like actually Chewbacca and things like. There have to be all these like these kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge things. And um, I don't know. Like, it's true that George Lucas was one of the first people to try those kind of like really dense looking green screen films. But I just think like watching a lot of blockbusters that have kind of copied that, like, I'm not sure that was like a positive. Yeah, I, 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 I do more or less agree that that's not necessarily a positive thing, but I think we just can't deny like how in, how massively influential those movies were. And like, that's, that's a feat unto itself. And I mean, I agree with you for the most part that these like dense green screen shots are kind of sucky, but then I would also say that there are like give me, give me big, Muppets any day. I mean, there's big, beautiful, like practical stuff in the prequels. Like the Tatooine in, in Episode One, like looks way, way cooler than that stupid little fucking outpost in Force Awakens. Like yeah, there's agree. shots in like when when uh when Anakin goes to like fight the Sand People because they like killed his mom. Like those shots are like out of the Searchers and shit. Like like George still cares, but he fucked up a lot. I, I'm not gonna lie that he did not the fuck sand, up the a sand whole people. lot. He did not <laughs> fuck yeah, up. Is eight, George eight. Lucas really the hill you're gonna die on here? This is gonna be this is gonna be uh, our most controversial episode and not because I said Anthony Weiner fucks kids. <laughs> so but 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 what do you guys like better? Are you guys more into Jedi's or are you more into Spartans? Good segue. There we go. Um uh, Jedi's. Let's keep talking about Star Wars. <laughs> Uh, no, so so Luke, I, 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 I might understand that you're playing through the Halo games for the first time. Not for the first time, no. I, I was like revisiting them. Like I, I definitely, I'm not really like a gamer, but my brother gave me his like old Xbox 360, and we used to play, uh, we used to play like the Halo games together. And um, like they're super cheap now. Like if you're playing them on 360, and I don't know, like I had some free time, like I've been on a vacation and stuff. So I got the like Halo One Anniversary Edition or whatever. Oh yeah, that. I, I played through Halo Reach recently, and um, I you know been may, maybe I might play through uh, Halo Four, which I think is the last one that's on 360. Uh, oh yeah, it's not good. I mean Halo Halo um, Halo Three always seemed like the lowest point um, to me, but uh, really. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I haven't played it for a long time, but uh, but I, Reach was Reach was always my favorite one. I don't know what I'm finding with uh, well, Reach rules. Yeah, Reach is great. It's got the firefight mode, which is like pure Halo. Because the thing about Halo is like I I've ne- I I actually don't even think I really know what the story is throughout much of it. Like I think it's pretty inscrutable. Um, I don't identify. Oh, well, it's, it's of, course, it's of course, that the Covenant is a uh, uh, an, an alien army made up of a bunch of different races from different planets, all mm. working together to fight together to uh, take over. Uh, oh, so they want to destroy Earth. So the uh, uh, UNSC, um, you know, light jumps away from Earth, where they find an ancient forerunner technology called a halo, which actually turns out to be a device that's meant to destroy the universe right. uh, uh, because it was containing the flood, which are basically zombies. Um, yeah, so, that that uh, about boils it down. Not to right, understand. Well, I, I wish. <laughs> I wish they could put that just in like a title card, like at the beginning of <laughs> because that What's makes a lot more sense than uh, I have. I, I, I think that some of the games are like almost impossible to follow unless you're like yeah. doing 
research on the fan wikis or whatever. Oh, it's well, so fucking dense. And what's interesting is is that the more you read into like the lore and like the books and the the, the Halo wikias is that the UNSC they're they're Starship Troopers level fascists. They're yeah. not good. They kidnap children and turn them into little you know space yeah. warriors. And the Covenant are basically just like. They're space jihadists. That they're, yeah. they're aliens that are united for their religious order, which happens to be killing humans. Yeah. But the well, humans no, are not taking good. over the like taking over the universe. Taking yeah. over the universe with the hell of the device, which will kill all humans. <laughs> <laughs> but the humans are not good. Like they are in fact the Spartan program is specifically launched to kill other humans. The Spartans aren't utilized in the war against the Covenant until the events of Halo Reach. Right. Wow, I, I didn't. I didn't know that the Master Chief was so problematic. I'm gonna have to rethink the rest. He of is. My well, the Master he Chief doesn't know any better. The Master though. Chief himself is not that problematic. He's a child soldier. I mean, he was taken. Like you know, basically they would do like. Uh, you know, acuity. I've never, I can honestly say I've never taken this deep a dive into the Halo universe, but let's just go. Oh, yeah, let's it's beast of no it. nations. Well, it, it's so funny. <laughs> it's so funny that you say that the story's not all in there because, you know, I do think that it's maybe on the viewer to uh, read all of the lore books as well. Uh, <laughs> yes. You didn't read the 15 yeah. full length novels and watch the anime? <laughs> then you don't get it. The comics, it. too. The Brian Bendis comics. The Brian Bendis. I mean, that's kind of interesting, though. Like, sort of that comic book crossover culture is now, it's now all cross format. Like, that Defiance game that came out a few years ago, it had the MMO and, and the it had TV the TV show. show. Right? But now, now it's sort of like cross media world building is in like you play this game and you get like a tiny chunk of the story you don't know what the fuck's happening well buy this book watch this cartoon well, okay so i don't like all right uh we've been chatting for a while i wanted to do one more segment bring it back that we haven't had in a few weeks uh and that's the shit pit which is a fun room we have on our discord if you sign up to our patreon you can join our chat room and talk crap with us uh I would like to personally bring into the shit pit Draft House Films and Tim League. Uh, Tim League, who has been running Fantastic Fest, Draft House Films, and Mondo for the last, I don't even know how many years, has been a stalwart icon of, of the independent film scene, but he's also been shield, shielding a lot of sick fucks. Uh, my crappy neighbor, Devin, who waged a harassment campaign against me and broke his mind. Harry Knowles from Ain't It Cool News, who people are now surprised is a pervert. And uh, in general, creating and fostering a culture of snootiness and, and sort of ironic detachment and phony performative liberalism, I think he'll be gone by the end of the week. Uh, and I'm glad. Yeah, I mean, I, I was saying on Twitter this week, you know, with all the uh, uh, sex criminals, you know, teaming uh, out of uh, Alamo Drafthouse, I would not go to any of the all-woman screenings over there for the time <laughs> being. I would opt out. Uh, check under the seat if you go to an all-woman screening at the Drafthouse. I mean, this goes back to our, like, male feminist episode and how so many of these, like, performity woke liberals are just, like, ashamed of the fact that they're extremely horny and are channeling it into, like, some weird pseudo-activism in order to get laid, but, like, people shocked that Harry Knowles is a creep. Like, I, I don't buy it. I don't buy people being... She's been literally writing about Scarlett Johansson's ass for the last 30 years. Yeah. Like, this is not a surprise to me. He's a 400-pound man in a motor scooter that loves looking at models. Like, why, why did the Alamo Draft House not only pay for this, but tolerate all this shit for so long? And why did they tolerate from Devin? Why do they tolerate their community being this sort of pit. Um, 
Maybe it's because nerds are uh, fucked up little weirdos and well, they want to protect their are. own. <laughs> well, of course we're all fucked up little weirdos, but like as they become increasingly corporate and as they like talk about how woke they are all the time, I mean, part of the whole colossal marketing campaign was that like here's Draft House making a feminist film with Anne Hathaway as Godzilla. <laughs> like, I don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. Like your own critics are hitting yeah. on people all the time. In, what like, I loved the about that film ways. is how they treated um, Koreans as completely non-entities and um, sub humans and like you know as and she literally crushes them under the weight of her white feminism i thought it was actually a perfect oh yeah <laughs> tons of people die in that movie and nobody cares <laughs> uh we should we should also uh uh just to you know initiate the uninitiated like maybe luke here the shit pit is a place where we put things that are bad and <laughs> the shit pit is our bad place it's stuff not, that is annoying like the whole show <laughs> That's true. Yeah, maybe we hey, look, maybe this is only maybe the show should just be called the shit pit, not struggle session anymore. <laughs> um, I think of a good one. Uh, uh, Leslie, yeah, one? I want to put uh, James Corden, James Corbin. What, uh, what's his name? The um, guy was Cor- James Corden, the guy of the karaoke uh, TV show. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, Carl he Clark. sucks because he uh, for uh, at the Emmys he, he took a picture kissing uh, Sean Spicer, who it, you know. Most famous for before for you know denying the Holocaust by saying even Hitler didn't use gas <laughs> during World War II. In his Holocaust centers. Um, so like, but you could take all the liberal Hollywood who were at the Emmys and put them in the shit pit for it before hanging out with this fucking piece of shit creep who has nothing. There's nothing good about him, but because they made they made fun of him in such a way, they have like a weird affection for him now, and it doesn't make any sense. There's nothing right. Sp- yes, they, they, they invited Goebbels to the Vanity Fair party. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's weird. Like all you have to be to get forgiveness when you're rich is self-efface and plead and go to a few parties, hang out with the right people. I mean, Alec Baldwin posed oh. with uh, with Spicer there. Uh, Spicer is apparently one of the most popular dudes at the party after the show the emmys were such a fucking disaster because they were screaming about inclusivity they were screaming about diversity stephen colbert two days before the ceremony said sean spicer needs to ask for forgiveness if he wants the public to accept him again two days before he dragged him on stage and went hey look it's melissa mccarthy (laughs) i can't even fucking believe why everybody in the audience and just walk out right there? That's what I would have done. Why would you want to like listen to that? JDB, that that's ridiculous. It's not. It's not the appropriate thing to do at the Emmys is not walk out. The appropriate thing to do is never attend. Never the go Emmys. to the Emmys. Do not go to these dumb fucking award shows ever. Award if season. If you ever get the chance to not go into an award show, that's like the most cool thing that anyone could ever do. Only fucking Hollywood has an entire fucking season, a quarter of their year dedicated to congratulating themselves. No other industry has three months of the year dedicated to fucking awards. You're talking about award ceremonies. I think like award mm-hmm. ceremony Twitter is like just in general oh. I would like to, you know, I, I, I like I that that like gif of Homer disappearing into the bushes just comes to mind anytime I realize it. I don't even know what like I'm I'm kind of like a like a neophyte about like I don't know mass culture anyway. So like I don't even know what a lot of the award ceremonies are, what they're for. But there's just like so you can tell there's just like something in the air, and yeah. uh, that's the time when you know you got to get off. 
It's French court shit. It's like a yeah. celebration of the rich. That's all it's become. Yeah, that's that's the annoying thing about like everybody tweeting in. It's like you know, uh, uh, if you're critical or if you're not critical, you're still just like taking a part of this like celebration of the elite. And fuck that. Yeah. No. The only the only way to win is not to play. Uh, um, I'm with you on that. Well, Luke, you're the man. Thanks yeah. for coming on the show with us today. Very yep. smart guy. And. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, um, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks so much, Luke. And you can follow Luke on Twitter. Is it Luke W Savage? Luke uh, at Luke W Savage. At and, Luke uh, W Savage. If you wanna, if you wanna follow my podcast, Michael and Us, that I do with my friend Will Sloan, uh, I would appreciate that too. Hell yeah, check it out. Where's and that? Also, Where's that also, You can find also, that on on iTunes or SoundCloud. Michael and Us. Awesome. It's called. Yeah, also follow at Luke Savage just because he has to deal with um, the over- backwash from uh, Luke W. Savage's. Yeah, uh, if you, you want to catch some of Adam Parkamenko's replies, you should follow both Luke's. <laughs> uh, well, thanks, Luke. Thanks for being on. Yeah, uh, thanks right. so much. Good talking to you. Thanks, thank guys. You. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Struggle Session. Uh, subscribe to us on Patreon. If you'd like to shoot us an email, hit us up at thestrugglesession at gmail.com. We are at strugglesession.us if you'd like to check out our Tumblr. If you would like to follow us on Twitter, not me, but us in general, check out at Struggle Sesh, S-E-S-H. Like what you hear? Want to hear more? Check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or strugglesession.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.